What is the worst thing that anyone's ever done to you? Was it a, a stranger committed an act of violence or theft? Maybe. Most likely, though, the worst thing that anyone's ever done to you was someone that you knew and loved. Someone who, I think that's when it hurts all the more. It's a greater violation even of justice to repay kindness with contempt. So we have three examples of great betrayal and hurt. Uh, the first is apostate Israel, after God frees them from slavery in Egypt. The second is Paul, who admits in the reading today that he was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a arrogant. And the third is the prodigal son, who had a, a very good father to whom he basically says, I wish you were dead, I want all your stuff. Now, in the first reading after... So remember what happened here, right? So, so God frees the Israelites from slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Right? He brought Pharaoh to his knees. One plague after another, he parted the Red Sea. Right? And he devoured their enemies in the waters that closed after them. Not long after that, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to be with God and to uh, receive the commandments, the, the covenants, right? He's gone for 40 days, that's it. <laughs> and they say, well, who knows what's happened to Moses? Uh, I have an idea. Let us make a golden calf and worship it and say, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt, right? So it's, it's a total apostasy. It's a rejection of God. And um, so there's this conversation between Moses and God. God says, you know, these people, I should just wipe them all out. And actually, Moses, God is making an offer to Moses, if you, if you were paying attention. I will make of you a great nation, Moses. You get to be not only Moses, but Abraham as well. It's a test. It's a test. God is putting Moses in a position where he has to really think and figure out what is the right thing to do. Does, he, does Moses really love these people that God has put into his care? And so Moses says, oh no, far be it from you, Lord, to do that. Huh? And I have a feeling that Moses later on, you know, there's times where Moses really was kind of fed up with the people too, if you read the whole story, that he had to go back and think about this and, and, and remember that, oh, God, God, yeah, I remember. The heart of God was... To be merciful. To not wipe. Now, the readings doesn't mention this. So God does not wipe them all out. But the sons of Levi, the tribe of Levi, do kill 3,000 of the worst offenders. That's usually not included in our reading, but it's in, it's in the Bible, right? So there still is a price that's paid. There is a lesson for Moses about the heart of God. But the heart of God is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus in his public ministry is attracting uh, tax collectors and other public sinners. And the Pharisees were critical of this. And so this is, in response to their criticism, is when Jesus tells them the parables of the lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, but especially the parable of the lost son, which we call 
the parable of the prodigal son. It's one of the most important teachings of Jesus to help us understand our relationship with God, to understand the reality of sin, of mercy, of forgiveness, of repentance, and of reconciliation. The first thing we need to keep in mind is this. There is no mercy without evil. Mercy, the best definition of mercy, is its love's response to evil. There are two kinds of evil. There's what the theologians call uh, physical evil, which is suffering, and then there is moral evil, or what we consider sin, right? To do something morally wrong. In each case, love's response, right, to physical suffering is right, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, those things. Love's response to moral evil is to offer pardon and forgiveness. So we see this beautifully, that while the son is still off a ways, the father sees him, he runs to him, he embraces him, he kisses him, before the son even has a chance to apologize. The father, Jesus tells us, was filled with compassion. I'm sure many of you parents maybe have experienced something like this. Your, maybe your teenage teenager got into a car accident because they were driving recklessly. They were doing something that they weren't supposed to do. And so your first concern is, are they okay, right? You go to the hospital, you ask if they're okay, and if they're okay, then you yell at them, right? <laughs> so. But it's very, very important that the son returned to the father repentant. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. And this allows for the restoration of the relationship. This allows him to receive the love of the Father. Then he is given a robe and a ring, which are signs of his sonship. Reconciliation requires an admittance of wrongdoing and an intention to do better. To live in harmony with God. We have to be sorry for our sins and try to live according to the truth. God's perfect and holy will, which is what is best for us. For outside of his holy will will be left hungry in a distant land. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what I see as a, actually the biggest problem. Most Christians know this story, and even most people who don't consider them Christians know this story. They think of God as merciful, but often now it is a false mercy which is being preached. It is a come as you are and stay as you are. It is an all are welcome without being clear about what exactly the welcome involves. All are welcome to hear the good news of the gospel, to learn of the great gift of salvation. All are welcome to receive that gift in humility and faith and to live it in the truth. There's a, uh, a professor of uh, medieval literature named Anthony Esselin, and several years ago, he rewrote the parable of the prodigal son for our times. And in his rewriting, it starts out the same way. The son goes off, there's, you know, he's, he's rejected his father, gotten his money, he's blown it, he's, famine comes, he's starving, he decides to go back to his father. But he goes back to his father with a couple girlfriends and a party friends that he, got, that he, that he was with. And he, just, he goes to his father and says, we're going to party here now, Dad. We're going to live the same way we're living in the distant land. And in Esalen's retelling, the weak father sheepishly allows it, and the other members of the household begin to fall one after another to sin. 
In all of Jesus' encounters with sinners, there's never a suggestion that sin doesn't trouble him, that he's content to leave people in their sin. No, he is the Messiah who proclaims and brings good news to the poor and liberates the captives. Not a Messiah who tells people that they're just fine in their slavery to sin and that everything is okay. Sin is the worst thing, but it allows for the best things. Mercy, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. The older son can only see the sin, and he is blind to the greater things that have followed the sin. His brother, who was dead, has been brought back to life. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 who have no need of repentance. When we have been the prodigal, let us not hesitate to return to the Father's house in repentance. And when we have been the dutiful son, let us share in the joy of the Father when one of our brothers or sisters returns home.